You got to find out what episode this is. But it's episode one, but the listeners don't know. Oh, yet. see, the, you can't. <laughs> you're stealing my shit, and I already thought about this. That's the thing. So it is. It, it technically it's episode three fifty eight, presented by Seneca Buffalo Creek Casino. Nothing else comes close. Or is it episode one of after after the whistle? Usually I say good morning, gentlemen, but God, I feel pretty good. Just good morning, Petey. Well, just hold on, hold on. Ready? Hold on. Shh. Let's just let's just enjoy this for a second. What's that, Craig? <laughs> no, nothing to say today, huh? Uh, no F bomb yet. Oh, that's good. <laughs> We're gonna do a three-hour show in forty minutes. <laughs> Because there's not going to be any repeater or arguing. I'm just, I'm just joking. The biggest news buzzing around Buffalo right now is Patrick Kane. That's where all the news is. A lot of buzz going around. Some people saying they're hearing multiple reports that he is has been offered a two year deal by the Sabers. Uh, figures are upwards of around the three and a half to four, four and a half million dollar range that are that are being mentioned. I have heard a while ago that Patrick Kane was going to be approached by the Sabres. I don't know how how far into depth that would have gone, but we're right around that time. Is it something that you could see happening, not just for the Sabres organization and their fans, but from the standpoint of Patrick Kane, the player, and where he is in his career? Absolutely. I mean, I, I know you're a big big fan of it. You you want Kane to come home, and I think, you know, every every player wants to go back to where they're from. And I think for Kane, this is the best situation ever. I think the Sabres are on the rise. He's won free cups. He doesn't have to chase a cup. He doesn't have to sign in, in Vegas or, or Colorado. And ultimately, he can stay at home, play for the Sabres, a team he grew up watching, you know, a, a fan base that, that idolizes him. And um, if his hip surgery went well or resurfacing or whatever it was, then I mean, I mean that's a player you you want on your team. I mean he's got all the tools, he's got all the experience. He's a big time player, and he can certainly um, help out a lot of those you know younger to mid twenty guys players uh, how to deal with different things. Is this is this Thomas Vanek going back to Minnesota in a way? I know you're similar, from yeah, similar. But um, Again, my big thing was, you know, not that I was, I wasn't a huge wild fan growing up. I thought this was a team on the rise. Vanner, I just mean from the standpoint of of being so ob- an obvious fit and a place. I mean, your your wife is from there. Yep. You played there. You loved it there. You spent your summers there. Yeah. I mean, I think anyone that played with you knew that eventually you were going to end up there at some point. Yeah, you're absolutely right. But the, the one biggest difference between my situation was that I was still very much hunting for my cup Kaner has three of them so i i I didn't just sign here to sign here and stay in my own house and my kids can go to school here with their buddies from the summer for me it was a good fit of the sense of okay i'm I'm back in a place where i'm familiar with i have a place here i feel comfortable and this is a team that i thought could make you know deep runs which which we had all the tools to do but as you know i mean it's it's hard to make runs so uh for Kana, it's a bit different because his, I mean, he's, you know, he can retire today and be a first ballot Hall of Famer, but at the same time, he's not that old yet. I mean, two no. years ago, he was one of the best players in the league still, and then obviously injuries yeah, catch a, up to a everyone. a good year last year, banged up and, you know, playing on a terrible team. I mean, he wasn't terrible. I, 
I think he's got a lot of game left. I'm not even worried about with with science these days and and all the technology. I'm not worried about his hip surgery at all. Well, I am. That's the only thing. His game and his hockey IQ, that will never leave him. I mean, he's one of the smartest players I've ever seen. I mean, his hands move so fast, but his brain slows down like I've never seen before. He's one of the few guys that, you know, that's that's how I played the game. Obviously, at a lot lower level than Kaner, but um, he could think two steps ahead, three steps ahead of where he wants to go without the puck, where he wants the puck to go. So he's got a lot of game left, but as far as the hip, well, Nicholas Backstrom just stepped away. That's that's the same surgery he oh, had. Okay. And Nicholas Backstrom is not, you know, maybe not the scorer Kane was, but similar frame, similar game, right? Set up first. I think Kane obviously is is better than a Nicholas Backstrom, but overall, very similar body types, hockey types, hockey IQ type, and uh, you know, I think Backstrom has even had it done two summers ago. So this is, you know, a year and a half later and he just something obviously is not right with his hip still. I didn't realize it was the same procedure. I believe it was, but don't quote me on it. I know okay. there's, there's different. I know the Sam Gagne is a good example. He had double hip surgery six months ago and he just got called up by the Oilers. And I watched a few of those games and um, he looked pretty fast. He looked good. So I don't know. I, but I think his were actually different surgeries than this resurfacing, but I have no idea. There, he's not coming here to be Patrick Kane in Chicago. I, and I'm not insinuating that you think that, but I just want everyone to make it or make it known to everyone that we understand that. And that needs to be made clear that he's not going to be the same player or have the same expectations, but you put him on a line with Casey Middlestad, or you put him on one of those lines with uh, maybe cousins in Greenway and you, you give him some time to play, but not only, not only looking for him on the five-on-five, five, I'm looking to maybe help the power play. You're right. I think his his biggest asset is going to be the power play because he doesn't have to be super fast. He can run the half wall. He can run the goal line. And to me, in the Sabres, the only guy, I don't know if they have a guy. The, the other guy that wants the puck and has the puck a lot on the power play is Darlene, but he's your quarterback. He's on the top. So I do think he needs help on the flank where Tage is is more of a shooter, in my opinion. So having a uh, Kane set up on on that right side on his uh, half wall, I think it's it's. I mean, it would look a lot different, and a lot better, in my opinion. And as far as five and five, I would put him with two big guys who can go in the corners, grind pucks, and he can be the F three and and dictate uh, the ozone from up there. I think he's got a lot of game to give as long as his his skating is good. But um, I mean, we all saw the videos that came out a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. He looked pretty darn good, but then again, skating by yourself or with a personal coach is a lot different than hey, five on five see, getting banged. You should see how how uh, good I look skating with the Amherst Nine U Triple A Knights. Be Tell teams. those kids every day I was the best player on the ice today by far. <laughs> <laughs> every single day, I remind them that I was the best player on the ice. Uh, the, there's there's a, there's another point I wanna I wanna add to this. I just think what a legacy this guy can leave in Buffalo, helping this team get to the, the playoffs. I think the Sabres are very close. I'm not sold that it's going to happen this year. I'm not convinced that it can't happen this year. But we'll talk about the standings in a few minutes because you brought up the standings and how jammed up it is. The parity is at an all-time high in this league. So mm-hmm. it's going to be a lot harder than we think. But maybe not even for this year. The, the talk is a two-year deal, which I think would be ideal. It gives them time to come back. 
get 50, 50 games this year, maybe a little bit more. There's more than that left, but right. depending on when he signs, 55, 60 games this year. Then next year, you look for him to have a bigger impact on a full season roster on that team that you know, because people have been very finicky about, is it playoffs or bust? Is it not? Well, if it's not playoffs or bust this year, you better believe it's going to be next year. It yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It, it, I mean, that that window is getting smaller to say it's not quite playoffs or bust yet. So if you sign a Pat Kane and it doesn't happen this year and you got him on a two-year deal, you better believe it has to happen next year. So that's that's why I think a two-year deal makes total sense. And if they got to the playoffs, not on his shoulders, but with his guidance and his his knowledge, his experience, and not only that, what does Patrick Kane coming to Buffalo do for maybe another free agent in the offseason or another young player in the offseason? Anything? Am I am I stretching with that? Yeah, I maybe think you're I'm... stretching with that. I think, and I've said this, you know, even when I played there, I think for the Sabres to get those top free agents, you either got to really overpay. But the way Buffalo has to build their team is through trades. Just like they got um, in our era, they got, you know, Danny B. And Chris Drury, like yeah. you, you have to build. But does having a piece like Kane help to get uh, facilitate maybe a guy who has a no trade clause, and then he'll end up waving it because he sees the the Thompsons, Tucks, Darlene, Power, you, you name it, Cousins. Now you put Kane in the mix. I think he's it's got a, he's certainly got a, he's got a big Rolodex. So if Kevin asks Kevin Adams says, "Hey, uh, it's trade deadline. Can you mm-hmm. call this guy?" And just ask right. him, let him know, or something along those lines. That happens, doesn't it? You Absolutely. Ever been, you ever been Absolutely asked to persuade a guy or, or uh, been tried to be persuaded by anybody? Well, no, but, you know, you do your homework as a player. I think I never had a no-trade clause. So it was, you know, easy for me to, to get traded. I just got the phone call or found out on Twitter that, hey, I'm going here. I'm going here. So... Could be Johnny Oduya. Could be Johnny Oduya finding out you're getting traded to uh, Atlanta from New Jersey, coming out of a movie theater down out in Times Square, and it's on the ticker. <laughs> yeah, that's how he found to. out. That's how he found out he got traded for Kovalchuk. Maybe I'm reaching on that point. Maybe I'm reaching on that point. And I don't want to go too long on Kane, but it's it's. I think you'd be in a a massive story in the NHL, and not just that for Sabre fans. W- would you be surprised if I told you that it's pretty? 50-50 split on on how people feel about it. I mean, I sent out some tweets last night from the show and there are there are people that don't want it from the, from the hockey standpoint. Forget the personal mm-hmm. shit. From the right. hockey standpoint, they don't think it makes sense from the hockey standpoint. I don't understand that. There are analytics people out there that are saying it doesn't make sense, we don't need it. I don't understand this mindset. I do understand, Petey, because it puts another forward in the mix with a ton of skill, which which seems like that's what the Sabres already have a ton of. So so I do understand when people said, hey, I mean, Patrick Kane, yes, he's a Hall of Famer, this and this and this, but we already have eight guys like that. Not like Patrick Kane, but skilled and fast and maybe a little bit smaller, but I'm with you. I don't look at it like that. I I can bring in a Patrick Kane for his experience, for what he can bring into that locker room, bring some more swagger. 
I think it's not like you're giving him a six-year deal. It's a two-year deal. You have cap space. He is not a threat to anybody in that locker room. He is only an asset. Maybe someone loses a little bit of time. Ah, fuck, I might lose time. But you're losing it to Patrick Kane. I mean, it's not like you're losing it to a player of the same age, contract situation, everything. You're losing it to a Hall of Famer to help your team. So, I mean, it's it's not like it's a long-term shift for somebody. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, it's like I said, I'm I'm all for it. If if any team that can sign him, I'm, and who knows, right? The reports are out there on a two year deal, but only Kane knows what he wants to do. Maybe he only wants a one year deal and or play the rest of the season out and and go back to the Rangers or go back to here and see how it goes. And then if he performs in the next fifty games, well, guess what? Then. In the summer, there might be more than a two-year deal on the table because he's not that old yet. Hey. I mean, he's a guy that can easily play at 40. Last thing I'll say, there's a crucial date coming up on November 19th. Do you know what that is? I don't. Would you like to know? Yes. The Buffalo Sabres are at the Blackhawks of Chicago. And, and, and Patrick Kane would be ready by November 19th? Can at least have him signed by then. <laughs> you can fly him back there to pack up some shit, can't you? Ugh. All right. That's true. When is he, well, so there's there's another quote. When exactly is he ready? These are the things I don't know about timelines. Like, you know, everyone someone questioned me on on the uh Jack Quinn timeline that I gave the other day. And I'm like, that's the timeline that I'm giving for like the max of that kind of an injury. You know, like we're not we're not rushing anything here. Skating on your own and skating getting in a hockey shape or game shapes are two different things, right? So he'll be 35 on November 19th. Also. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) So you got to keep that for the Seneca side notes. (laughs) Not only are the Sabres in Chicago on November 19th, but it also happens to be Patrick Kane's birthday. Yeah. 35. I think, I mean, well, then maybe he's not playing, but maybe you just sign him that day. What if what a day that would be? Yeah, you sign him in Chicago or announce it on that day. Oh my god, a little press conference there before the game, have him walking around, introduce him to the boys. <laughs> okay. But yeah, as far as timeline PD, who knows, right? You know how it goes. He needs to get into practices first and get up into game speed because you can skate on your own as much as you want. Doing two on ones, three and twos, tracking back. That 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 hits the legs a lot differently. Hey, Andrew. You ever been in a car crash? I know you have because you're a terrible driver. But fortunately for me, I haven't. But I know who I'd call if it ever happened to me. Call our friends at Salino Law. 800-555-5555. For a car crash, call Salino. 800-555-5555. You looking for a nice little getaway? Seneca Allegheny Resort and Casino. Natural beauty meets true luxury. Surrounded by the lush hills of the rolling Allegheny Mountains, incredible views are second only to the outstanding accommodations and service. Enjoy the AAA Four Diamond Resort, complete with luxurious rooms and amenities, expansive dining options, and of course, world-class gaming nestled in the foothills, just a short drive from the quaint village of Ellicottville. Go to SenecaAlleghenyCasino.com for more details. We talked a lot about bringing Matt Savoy in. 
mm-hmm. and he was in and out like a fiddler's elbow. So what do we make of that? Is that just uh, give him the game, courtesy game, send him back to junior, heard mom and dad were in town. That's what I think happened. I heard mom and dad flew in and kind of one of those, you know, give him the game. Mike Babcock never would have given that game. He would have said, fuck your parents and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and pay for their ticket home. Here's your day's pay in the show. But the reality is he was here. He played. Is that all that was? Don't overthink it type thing. Probably. I think uh, you mentioned it before, I think, on the show, right? They, they didn't want to send him back to juniors because it sounds like it's a little bit of a mess where he's at. So keep him around as long as possible. Maybe keep him around longer and, and get him ready for yeah, the world juniors and stuff like this. But obviously, with not being able to play in the AHL or just in a conditioning stint, once that is up, they brought him back up. I'm assuming... You know, in practices, they're like, this kid ain't ready. But I think Tuck was out, right? Benson is out. So they have some injuries. So they said, hey, we'll we'll give the kid his, you know, give him his game and then um, send him back and let him play a ton of hockey there. I guess his team back back out west is doing all right, too, which it can't hurt, right? So, all right, I don't want to overthink that one. I don't want no, to No, but I think it's, you know, about. keep him around as long as possible. Let him know what's, what the NHL is all about, what the AHL is all about. I don't, I don't think there's nothing wrong with that. And I do think it's better for him, you know, especially, I mean, you can't keep him around, just practice. And if you do put him in a game, I think, what did he play? Three minutes? Yeah, I was like 344 or something. Yeah, that doesn't do I, I mean, if, I, if you're not going to play him 12, 13 minutes at least, you might as well send him back and let him play significant minutes and get ready for those World Junior camps. I'll say this, though. I do think it's worth mentioning before we change topics is that uh, I have family and friends in Rochester. Someone messaged me that bumped into Matt Savoy randomly and had a nice conversation with him, said he was actually a really good kid. That's all they had to say. So... That's got to be worth noting. Someone pointed that out to me. I was like, "That's great. It means nothing to me, but I'll I'll, make, I'll be sure to pass it along to everybody." <laughs> right. That's, I mean, that's, that's basically I mean, how I handled that. Most of them are. You know, I, I don't think teams yeah. nowadays they do all their homework. You know, it, it's especially now with social media and stuff. I think they can they can figure out pretty good if if a kid's a shithead or. Uh, well, if he's got a uh, good Gal- head on did everybody's homework for him, but we don't even need to go down that path. That yeah, is, that was tough. That was that's, uh, that's very tough. uncomfortable to watch. So uncomfortable. We'll... That's the right word. I use disturbing. I think it is disturbing, but uncomfortable. Yeah. I think is probably the best word. Um, you brought up the standings. You know, in the West, you have a couple teams that are below with the Sharks and 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 the Oilers with the Oilers being the, obviously the, the obvious surprise, but in the East, I mean, besides Boston, who has got, what, 24 points? Rangers at 23. Everything else is from 19 to 12. That's a couple games here and there. I mean, it's – but, again, I, I do still think, you know, come two weeks from now, American Thanksgiving, that's probably what each team plays another five, six games. Then, then, then you'll see maybe some separation, but but even then, even then, I'm wondering if the parity of the league is at a point where you can't use that anymore. That timeline. I mean, St. Louis broke that years ago when they won the cup. They were last in the league on January second. 
Yeah. The Edmonton Oilers are not dead in the water by any means. They're the Edmonton Oilers, and they have Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, and they have some other players. They are not dead, right? So I agree. So I don't know if that that timeline of American Thanksgiving is is still the timeline that we can use, but it it certainly is a a a point where you can gauge who's who team and which teams are underachieving and maybe overachieving. But I don't think it's the separator of these are the teams that are going to move forward this year. And these are the teams that are going to stay behind. You nailed it. I think in the past you can, you know, it's funny. I mean, by American Thanksgiving, you can tell five or six out of the eight teams are going to probably make the playoffs. And you were usually 95% right. This time, I don't think you have it. I think what you have is exactly what you said. What kind of team are they? Are they, you know, and the one thing I think right now that sticks out to me is even the good teams, all of them seem to be super inconsistent. I mean, there's no one besides, you know, Boston been really consistent. The Rangers been really consistent in the East, Vegas in the West, Dallas. But uh, besides <laughs> that, it's like well, you, you look at these scoreboards, I'm like, huh, they dropped two in a row, then they went two in a row. Ottawa, question mark. Islanders, question mark. But they're only three points back of wild card number two. That's the amazing thing. It's like you see where they're located and the points that they have are two completely different things. Yeah. It's it's completely different because at this point you're like, ah, the Senators are fucked. But really, Columbus is fucked. Are they? They're they're two wins away from being in wild card number two. How about... How about I, I know you and Riffs touched on this Washington. Everyone's like, they're washed up. They're so old. They're so slow. Oh, they're seven, four, and two. Can I tell you something? I was looking at the standings here and I'm only really looking at the wild card things. And I was wondering, I'm like, did they forget to put Washington in here? <laughs> <laughs> and then I scroll up and they're in third in the Metropolitan. Like, what? Yeah. And Backstrom leaves and they get better. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, who would have, that, that's just it, right? I mean, you just. Florida, a week ago, everybody said they were washed up and done. Yeah, they look pretty good. Sam Reinhardt, man, he's killing it right now. It's, uh, uh, he's up for a contract, eh? He's going to get what? a nice <laughs> a nice little pay raise, that young man. man. I, I think it's Vancouver bound for this guy. I think he's ready. He's ready to go home too. Patty Kane's coming to Buffalo. Sam Reinhardt's going to go home to West Vancouver. I don't not a chance. I don't think I, the the only way he, they can afford him if if they end up trading Pedersen, which there's no way you can trade that guy. No, not trading him at all. What's going on in Edmonton? I mean, I think Woodcroft has done a really nice job. I mean, a couple deep playoff run. There's nothing he did wrong in my opinion, but. You played the game. You you can't trade, especially in today's salary cap era where no team has cap space. And, uh, you know, I had Ken Holland in uh, Detroit, and he is awesome. He communicates. He's great. There's no ever panic. So, again, going back to the press conference that you just mentioned, I'm sure Kenny's always around the room. He always talks to the, the players. Did he talk to him about firing Woodcroft? I don't think so. He's too experienced about that. And then Jackson says, no, he didn't talk to anyone. Well, he's the president or whatever his title is, so he's probably not around the room. So some people might say it's there's some dysfunction there. I think it's just a GM being around the room and then communicating in good and bad times with, with their players. And then a, a guy who's even higher up who is not around the room. 
So he he didn't have those conversations, but I suppose I I could see how maybe one would have conversations with the players and maybe one wouldn't. Yeah. And I could see that. And I could see if the players opinions didn't necessarily make the decision, but I think they could have helped weigh the direction of the decision that general manager was going to go when he spoke to the president and the owner about the next move with the team. Mm-hmm. So I just, I feel bad for Woodcroft though. You know I mean? Cause I thought when he got there, I thought he did, did some good things. I thought they had a good team last year. They had some goaltending issues, but that's not his fault. And then this start, no one saw this coming, right? No <laughs> one saw this coming with Edmonton. No, I mean, the goaltender has been the issue there for, for a while, and I think now you have a bunch of good players who are who are struggling, who are not confident. I think Leon Dreisaitl said it after one of the losses that, you know, they're searching for confidence. So that's not on Woodcraft, really. I mean, players have to find their own. Sometimes it is on the coach to put players in the right position, but I think he did that. You know, sometimes you're just in a funk where you outplay teams, nothing goes in, but... The only thing you can do at this point, especially when you think you are a legitimate contender, is to change the coach. Just a new voice. Maybe, you know, you tweak a thing here and there and, and just kind of be like, okay, let's go. Let's let's win one here. Let's win two. And that's a team that can easily rattle off seven, eight, nine wins, and they're right back in it. Well, yeah, you can thank your team for uh, firing Woodcroft. That's right. <laughs> they beat San Jose 10 nothing. And McDavid gets six, and they're all like, okay, let's see if we can use this as a bit of a bounce-back game, boys. Maybe we are. But no. No. Yeah. Yeah, Sharks are well, – they, they played hard, right? Well, so. listen, that, that you don't think they want to take advantage of a team like that? That's what motivates teams like the Sharks. Yeah. The teams like the Sharks that know they're going to have a have tough sledding don't want to get embarrassed by Connor McDavid on, on a highlight reel. So you know what they do? They go out and play harder, and they want to beat them and keep them down while they're down, right? And kind of add salt to that wound. You know what I mean? Absolutely. They, I mean, yes, that's a that's a team that's struggling, but at the same time, that's that's still twenty NHL players in that locker room who who want to compete, who want to stay in the league. You know, is it is it next it. year? Is it this year? Is it you? You got to be. You know, and then Mike, I don't know if you saw it, but obviously Greer's the. Uh, talk to the team and that's just it you know you you might not have the talent but the work you know that's mike's mentality i mean as we we both know it's you still show up and be a pro so um they have done that tell you a quick mike greer story you were on the team it was 0506 we were in a we were in a great spot team was rolling we had an awesome year that year from start to finish no real speed bumps, if I recall. Maybe a couple, you know, three-game losses here or there, but nothing really other than injuries. We had no issues at your drama, anything, right? And I remember we had a day off, and then we came to the rink for the first day back. And, you know, we're skating around. We're, you know, Hold we're, on, we're, I got to stop you right there. Yeah. Day off? What is that? In no, no, 0506, there's this a day o- off? This is 0506. We did have a day off. 0607. Wow. 0607, they were taken away from us. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't win the cup the year before because we lost all our defensemen. <laughs> so figure no more days off next year. Yeah. Um, so we and we were skating around. And I'm just, you know, it, we're out there 10, 15 minutes for practice doing, you know, the 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 
the Lindy 500, right? And we're just do, going around in circles. And I had my help, my chin strap undone. And he just skates up to me casually, smacks me on the ass with his stick, and he goes, hey, buckle up your helmet. It's a work day. Yesterday was a day off. <laughs> and I'm look, I look up at the clock. It's 9, and practice starts at 9.15, and I'm just out there screwing around. Mm-hmm. It's like, buckle up your helmet. It's a work day. I'm like, so what did I do? Did a half lap unbuckled just because I was stubborn. I'm kidding. But that's who he is, man. That's that's, That's who he is. That's who he is. His mentality is is great. It's something as we, you know, we probably won five or six in a row. Things were, you know, you probably saw that I was in a casual mood on a day where it was going to be a tough day. And he was always ahead of it. He was always ahead of it. Uh, Connor Bedard, nine goals. I'm a little surprised by this. I won't lie. I had him pegged for about uh, 55, 60 points this year. I mean, he's got 13, 12 or 13 now. He's got a point a game. I knew he was going to do well because they were going to give him every opportunity, but I thought he was going to be more of picking up a ton of his points in the power play. But, man. The kid is just his hockey IQ is just off the charts. I mean, the goal he scored yesterday against the Panthers, where he stole the puck. Bobrowski's covering that low net, ready for a poke check because he thinks maybe he's a quick little backhand move, and he just just snipes it over the shoulder. I mean, those are those are things when I look at him like you can't teach it. I mean, the kid made a decision in a split second, saw an opening, and just casually just you know curls his wrists and puck is shelved i mean and even after i was impressed i mean he took a big hit there or big just an awkward hit by kulikov he popped right back up so uh i mean for 18 years old a, a kid it's, and i know the league is different but still that that takes special talent to at 18 to score in a in the nhl it's crazy i didn't know what to make of this kid he seems like a really good kid. He seems like he's handling all of this really well. Because it was it was Connor Bedard overload at the start of the year, and you almost wonder if you just think it might get the best of him at some point. Yeah, but you know, at this, I really felt bad for him because he doesn't want to do all this. He doesn't want to be shown on NHL Network and these interviews and. And you can tell his interviews are very robotic, you know, that there's not much charisma to it, which I was like that too. I don't know. I I didn't, some guys are better with it. They joke around. That's an 18 year old who's been, he's been in the spotlight for what the last four or five years. So he gives, he gives the right answers all the time. Sometimes you want more, you know, Jr. said it's best, but at the same time, what, what Jr. has to realize, there's not many Jrs in the game. That's why he is who he is. That there's, I can't think of anyone else that is as outspoken, witty, not just away from the rink, but also in front of the cameras. I wasn't. I thought I was. You know, I mean, I'm witty. I'm funny, but and in front of the cameras, I wasn't like that. I didn't. I wanted to. Oh, answer no, no, no. You are. It's it's funny. Obviously, on here you're different, but. <laughs> On, but when you were playing lock, locker room, lo, locker room Thomas, well, there's a lot of guys like this. Like, right. But but you, but we're talking you locker room Thomas versus camera Thomas. 
oh man, <laughs> they were yeah. they were they were night night and day. Both could seem extremely irritated at times, <laughs> but, but man, constantly you were you were not a media guy, man. You did not like that. I knew the media part; it's part of the game. I enjoy. It's not that I I didn't hate those guys at all. I enjoyed talking hockey with them, but to me, it was. That was a job. I, it wasn't for me to joke around or, or call somebody out. I answered it as as honestly as I could. And most of the time, I would always answer it that I needed to do something better. Never of, you know, this guy needs to be better. That's that's just not how I was raised and, and how I was. So, you know, sometimes you get questions about, well, your line sucked. I'm like, yeah, we, we're, we were not good, but I didn't do anything. You know, I got a... I got to do more for Roisy or Max or whatever. And those are boring answers. And then Max would say, you'll then have to do more. <laughs> then do more. Um, you, you're talking about uh, Bedard dominating at 18 in, in the NHL. What do you make of this Max Celebrini at BU? Or Man. what do you make of this? What do you make of this Max Celebrini at BU? 18 He's points. He's unbelievable. Yes, he is. I mean, I watched some of his games last year when he played for the Steel in the USHL. And he is, I think he can play in the NHL as a 17-year-old. I think he's that good. I think you can put him on an NHL team right now and he would produce and, and not look out of place, which is crazy to say, but that's how good he is. Going number one overall. The, the the kid playing for the U.S. program who's actually going to BU as well. He BU he stole him from the from... Gophers. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Not 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 too happy about that one. Um, Cole Eiserman. I mean, he's he's pretty special too. I mean, he's but he's a pure shooter. He he reminds me a lot of. I don't know if I should say reminds me of a Matthews, but he can shoot from anywhere and he can score from anywhere. And that's that's not easy to do. I don't care what level you play, to be a pure goal scorer and not just score in front. Or I mean, he he can he can he sh- scores from outside of the circles consistently. I don't know. I don't know in the last 10, 15 years that I've seen a player that has scored more goals from different spots when you watch his highlights than Austin Matthews. Like it's, it's unbelievable. It, it really is. Either side of the mm-hmm. goal. I mean, anywhere. He's, he literally scores from anywhere in the offensive zone. A uh, 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 on top of the goal line. Yeah, he's, you know, you think of the best goal scorers in the last decades, you know, which is who comes to mind. It's Ovechkin. I think everyone can picture where he's getting the majority of his goal. Yeah. A stamp coast gets a lot of them, you know, from that one-timer side too. I think Kucherov is the other guy who, he he can score way different ways. But when I think of Kucherov, which is crazy because he does score a shit ton, I I, I see it. I look at him as one of the best setup guys, shooters, like just a combination of both, but not a pure goal scorer, which I think I should look at him like that because he is. But Matthews is, is I mean, he can be in front and tip. He can be off the side. He can be on the goal line. He can be on his backhand. He can be on his one-timer side. I mean, be on the friggin' blue line. He can be anywhere. And what I love about him, it's not every shot is shoot it as hard as I can and goes in. I mean, he knows when he's in tight, it's a little fake and he just kind of lays it over the shoulder. Other times he rips it low glove or low blocker. I mean, his, his arsenal and his executions of shooting, 
it's probably the best I've ever seen. How does a school like BU take a player like Cole Eiserman from Minnesota? Explain how that works because I, I don't understand that. Well, he's a Boston kid, so I think, you know. Oh, I, I didn't know that. Yeah, he's a Massachusetts kid, played a Chaddock, you know, I think liked Minnesota a lot, liked here, committed, you know, and then a year later, probably can I realize some of his buddies are going to be you. And I'm like, hey, this is a good school as well. Both are good, great schools, great hockey. Is there some NIL money tied into it? Probably. So, okay. So I have a, uh, so how is that viewed? And I'm not saying just toward Cole Eisenman because I know it's happened a ton of times. I know other, I know guys that have decommitted from schools and gone to other schools. Mm-hmm. I just, how is it viewed? I don't know. It's, 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 he's a young, he's a young man. He can do whatever he wants. I mean, college hockey has changed. I mean, obviously, I would have loved to have seen him um, as an alum here in Minnesota for the Gophers, but you can't fault the kid. You know, he's 16 when he commits or 17 and then, has a change of heart, whatever. It's it's not a big deal. And and I just mentioned that college in general has changed. The transfer portal. I mean, there's hundreds of kids in it. That didn't exist when I was in school. And you Why? didn't like it. You just worked harder. You shut your mouth and you played harder. Now you just transfer. Why are we why are these kids committing so early? And I'm not I don't I'm not saying there's a flaw to it. I'm I'm you just said it. You're 16. Like I was 16 when I had to decide. If I was going to mm-hmm. go to the OHL, now this was an OHL rule, or I was going to go because of the draft, or I was going to go to college. And anyone that knows me knows that I was not known for my academics. I was not passionate about school. I didn't try. I didn't care. I didn't like it. Okay. Mm-hmm. If you want to, if, if you think there's a correlation to my intelligence with that, then please, by all means, go ahead and judge. But my point is, I was not an academic. So I was all junior hockey. And I guess maybe had I had another year and a half or two, because I remember the day I got a call from, from I think it was Pat LaFontaine's brother at Lake Superior State. Mm-hmm. And he wanted me to come to Lake State. My dad laughed when Harvard approached him. I mean, like there were there were Ivy League schools. There were D1 schools. Um, you know, I didn't have the Michigan States at the time that were the big schools. Like my brother had those schools calling Michigan and all those schools. I didn't have those schools, but I had, I had some good D one schools and, and I'm so young at the time. I'm just like, no, the, the last thing I want to think about at this juncture in my life is more school. But had I had another year or two to maybe had time to, to, to decide or change my opinion maybe mm-hmm. things might have been different. You know what I mean? And I, I think don't... they are different nowadays. You see a lot more Canadians who go to the college route. You know, yeah. I mean, you got it right here with the Sabres and all well, power. Fan- Fantilly's another Fantilly, one. Fantilly, you know, I mean, when I played, God, what are the 20, 20 years ago for the Gophers, there was barely any Europeans in all of college hockey. Now college hockey, I mean, it's the depth of it is 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 crazy. It's great hockey. I mean, you got a ton of Canadians who are who are going the college route. You got a ton of Europeans, Swedes, Finns that are coming over. That's unheard of. So uh, colleges have done a real nice job of you know not just recruiting Americans, but going back to your initial point, they have changed it. So now you have to be uh, 
I think August 1st, going into your junior year in high school, you can start like visiting campuses and okay. committing. How, how old are you? How old are you? Your junior year of high school? What is that? 16? Well, 16, 17, depending of, you know, when you start school okay. and, and yeah, this, yeah. but yeah, 16, you should be 16 most of the time, 17, maybe, but, and then, ver- you know, you can verbally commit and then starting, I think your senior year, I think signing day was just two weeks ago. So probably end of September or where we at October. Well, I had Luke Tuck living with me the year he committed. He was 16. Yeah. He committed to BU when he was 16 years old. I remember mm-hmm. him when he sent out the tweet from, uh, and I'm just like, uh, to me, that was amazing that a 16 year old kid could commit. But my brother, Jeff, at the same thing, same thing, he had to decide he could have gone first, second, third in the OHL draft or yeah. gone to one of these schools. And he had to decide, you know, yeah. when he's standing there and he's got agents saying, you go first, second, overall, you could be drafted in the first round in two years in the NHL. <laughs> and you could be in the NHL by the time you're even a freshman in college. Mm-hmm. Well, what the fuck is a kid from Canada who's a who's a phenom at a young age supposed to think? Right, and that's that's hard, and that's why I got lucky because I played in Sioux Falls in the USHL because I wasn't able to play in the Western League until I was, I believe it was seventeen because of the European rule. Yeah, so yeah, you couldn't play as an underage. That's right. Which, if I could have played as an underage in the Western League, who knows? Maybe I wouldn't have gone to college because I wasn't as educated of what college hockey is but then i went to the ushl learned more about college hockey what it's all about continuing your education and i i'm like this is a great route so by the time 17 came around and the option was there to play in the western hockey league i was like no way i'm gonna play finish my high school in sioux falls and then go to college and it was uh but you mentioned that i wasn't forced into making that decision as a 15 year old or 16 year old yeah I had time to educate myself on what, what does the other side look like and not just the hockey road. But I was, I had those same conversations. Well, go play in the Western league for one year and then you're first round pick and then you move on. And I'm like, I was overwhelmed. I was looking at these people. I'm like, uh, I'm playing junior hockey in Sioux Falls. The last thing I'm thinking of is getting drafted and playing in NHL. (laughs) So so I'm playing in a, fucking prospect tournament in guelph an ohl prospect tournament i was i was uh it was it was for the ohl draft eligible players underagers and and um midget age players so it was 15, 16 and 17 year olds and so or it was uh 80s and 81 birthdays that year and i'm playing there and, and all I, the entire year i just played tier two junior eight there have been I don't think I ever saw a college scout. There might maybe Brock University was there looking for some <laughs> 20, 20 year old, uh, but like there was no universities there. So I play in this tournament two weeks before the OHL draft, and all of a sudden now I have all these college teams asking what I'm doing and what my plan is, and you know, it's like I had no time. I had two weeks. Yeah, I'm like, oh, that's school. Fucking yeah. going to the, I'm going to the OHL so I don't have to go to school. <laughs> right. <laughs> but going oh, back, man. like you said, Luke Tuck committing at uh 16. OHL, you know? man. Optional high school league. Optional <laughs> high school league. That's funny. But I'm with you. These 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 verbal commitments, I wish the NCAA would get rid of them because some some schools overcommit or on verbal commitments and then come signing day, you know, 
out of the nine commitments they have, they only sign three of them. They tell the other kids, uh, go back to junior for another year, another year. And then, you know, at the end of the day, all of a sudden the kid who verbally committed at 16 is standing there as a 20 year old and is like, I I don't think this school wants me. I have nothing. God, I wish, I wish my kid played for one reason. I'm glad he doesn't play hockey, but I wish Brody played hockey and I wish he was really fucking good at it. (laughs) So I could, so I could just at least, you know, practice what I preach, you know, because I would if he was so good and they still had those rules and they were like, come on, verbal, verbally, verbally commit. The verbal commitment isn't for isn't for the future of the kid and the education and the plan down the road. It's the ego of the parents and the kid, more the parents. And I just I would I would tell my kid, don't verbally commit. Don't verbally commit. You know why? Because the better you play and the longer you stay uncommitted, the harder people are going to press for you. They're going to press and they're going to press because once you're off the table, you're off the table pretty much. I would just, I would never verbally commit because you get hurt. doesn't matter anyway. They decommit. They, I agree with you. Right. But there is two scenarios. I think if you are a Cole Iserman, you can verbally commit because that school ain't backing out. If you're that next tier of players, then to me is there's no reason to verbally commit. So, but if, if Cole you know, Iserman doesn't verbally commit because he's so good, a school like Minnesota doesn't get screwed out of a player that they had intended on having that following season. So and, there's that. And I don't begrudge mm-hmm. the kid for that. I do not. I want to make that clear. I do not begrudge the kid because it's not the kid's fault. All right. It's the system and the timing in which they should be able to make the decision the year they're done. Like next summer, next year, I'm going to go to uh, I'm going to go to BU. That's that's the way I think it should be to be so planned in advance. You know, Minnesota had plans for this kid for years, probably. Right. No, but but for me, the only change that needs to happen is instead of your junior year, you can verbally commit. I think your junior year, you are allowed to start taking visits so you can look at schools. But there's no don't verb. No one is allowed to verbally commit. And then come your senior year, come signing day. If that school really wants you well, then send over the papers and let the kids sign because then you're tied to the school. Until you sign that piece of paper, the player and the university can do whatever they want. So the verbal has zero meaning. I think it's it, they should completely cut it out until signing day. 100% agree. It makes yeah. it more exciting for everybody. It makes it too. way more. And I think for the kids, it would be better too because... I've seen it where a kid verbally commits and, you know, I know that it doesn't mean anything. The kid probably at the time thinks it's the greatest thing in the world and he stops working. The passion goes a little way. I'm a little bit better than everyone else. And guess what happens? Someone else catches them, catches them, gets better. So I think it's not always the best scenario for kids to. uh, Well, how about all those kids that verbally commit because they talk to a coach? And they're like, yeah, I want to come there. That's I'm going to go play for him. And then that coach ends up leaving and going and getting a job in the NHL. <laughs> that's well, <laughs> to me, it's it's youth hockey, and that's a different conversation. But there's always always the chase and the rush to get somewhere quicker. I'm like, when you're 12, play with your 12 year olds. When you're 14, play with your 14 year old. I would love to know what Riv thinks about this, but then again. I'm glad I don't. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's God, it's been so quiet. 
I've really enjoyed talking to you today, man. It's, this is it's good. Really, Let's do this every Monday. After after the whistle. Every Monday <laughs> after Ribs is done. How about, uh, I do have to mention this quick, even though he's not here to defend, which is even better, actually. How about the Montreal Canadiens are worth how much? No, no, no. 10% of the Canadian. <laughs> $25 billion. So he brought that up on a Thursday. <laughs> And I brought that up to him again on a Tuesday. I know. <laughs> and he's like, you're still on this shit. I'm like, well, <laughs> hold on a second. we didn't do Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I said, yesterday, I didn't even think about it. I said, and a lot of people <laughs> want you to be corrected. So it was 10% of 2.5. But did you see the Sabres are worth $900 million? Well, of course they are. Why wouldn't they be? Centers is just sold for what nine fifty? I believe. I think these numbers are inflated. Maybe not the Habs. Maybe not the 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 uh, Leafs. Leaves are valued at probably two point eight billion or yeah. something. Yeah, where I yeah uh, I have that list. The Buffalo News reported on November 9th that the Buffalo Sabers value soars to nine hundred million in latest report. Well, how much did Seattle cost? That's a new franchise. It was six fifty for the uh, franchise fee. Exactly. So that makes every team immediately go go to that number. And the next team that comes in, which will probably be what Salt Lake City, Utah. You think? Oh yeah. Listen, we're not expanding before relocating are we oh we're expanding before relocating no we're not thomas that is the honest to god <laughs> that is the stu- <laughs> if if we are if if the nhl expands before relocates there's one reason why there's it's, only one reason it's the space race it's the race to be the biggest league no I think no? it's the. I think it's it's all about money. I mean, if Utah come uh, relocating the Coyotes to Utah, how much money does every owner get? Well, uh, how much? Yeah, six hundred million to be. If so, if if it were six hundred and forty million, no, no, no. You, you're you're million. relocating. Say you're relocating oh, the none. Coyotes to Utah. None. They get zero. None. But if Utah comes in and pays nine hundred million. But is it? But wouldn't you want to at least strengthen that market and then, and then add a team? So you well, strengthen the market, HRR goes up, and then you add another seven hundred and fifty million dollar because you know it's going to go up seven hundred and fifty or eight hundred million dollar franchise fee to that, and now it's like now the league is even healthier and the owners are going to get more money because there's less sh- toxic shit in Arizona. And by that, I just mean like no rank, no fan base, a lot of chaos, no owners. See, I don't know. I mean, JR can speak on this better than I, but I think it's a great market. I he mean, says it's, that it's, it it's, a, it's a large, large market. They just need to figure I, I mean, it was shocking to me that that new rink got denied. It really was. I mean, that was, you know, they'll figure it out there. That's not a market they should leave. Definitely not. So, but. You say strengthen the market before you bring in a new one. Well, you bring in a new one that brings in a ton of money 
brings you know revenue up. Yeah, jerseys, I guess. Yeah, I mean, okay. And you have I, these owners, you know, the guy. I think it's a tech guy that owns the Utah Jazz. He will, he's all in for the hockey team. Well, that's that's what you want in this league. As much as you don't want too many teams, because at some point, the more teams you have, you probably have to expand the playoffs, which I'm not a huge fan of. But you're gonna have to do it. Otherwise, if you keep growing and you don't expand playoffs, well, there's a lot of teams that are not gonna make the playoffs in a long time. And that's not good for for that team or community. Well, Sabres are for sale. That's all I'm gonna tell you. That's all I'm gonna tell you. They're still for sale. I'm not backing off that. I think people think I I was making that shit up, but I I definitely I definitely believe they are they were. I I don't know if any of the talks slowed down because of maybe possibly Mrs. Pagula's health condition. I don't know, but I do know that there were a lot of strong talks. And I do believe there still are, because uh, I heard a new name of someone that is connected to Terry Pagula trying to buy the Sabres. So it's just it's just interesting to see what's what you know what they're doing with the team. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure they're not the only ones. There's a lot of owners who are probably not super into hockey, and they're seeing these these franchises go for sale. Terry Pagula sells that sells that team for nine hundred million. Let's say he sells them for eight hundred million. Just just because, just because mm-hmm. the rink needs a shit ton of money, or they may even need a new rink. I don't know how that works, but let's just say eight hundred million. He bought them for like. 185 maybe yeah i think something like that it was i want to say maybe 200 million into harbor center that's that's cash out of his pocket built the rink i mean okay so let's say four 450 renovating the rink and all that 500 million in that's a four three four hundred million dollar profit in you know 11 years 12 years that's all good business man well that's pretty much, I bet you that's breaking even because um, one of the executives, one of the 75 executives that have worked here over the last 11 years that have been fired while <laughs> working here told me that there was a time that the Pagulas were losing like 30, 40 million dollars a year on the Sabres. So if they sold it for 800, he might still be just breaking even. Yeah, I don't know. That That seems extremely high by... I understand the fan base or, or the seats in the stands haven't been filled like they were used to. But that's that's one portion, right? I mean, playoff revenue is a huge portion for these owners. But at the same time, you, you still have your corporate sponsors and stuff like this. So that yeah, number maybe. seems extremely high to me. Uh, maybe they were full of shit. Maybe that's why he got fired. <laughs> <laughs> You're walking around town lying about how much we're losing. <laughs> Financially, because they all know how much we're losing on the ice. All right, Vanner. Great shit today, man. Appreciate your time. Good stuff. See you next week.